Hello, I'm Paul Mill, and welcome to episode 33 of Defense Against the Dark Arts. This uh, episode is on Che Guevara's Guerrilla Warfare. Where's, I don't know if you've read this book yet or not, but uh, Che wrote it back in, I think, 1960, right after the Cuban Revolution. So Che was not a hero to humanity. He, he was a hero to those who fight oppression in some regards, but he was a, a primal man who loved to kill. One notch above uh, a savage, and his ideologies were ill-thought-out justifications for his hunting of other men. He was a man who was on the ground floor of a great conspiracy. Though the intelligence community, for some reason, doesn't want us sheep to believe that there are actual conspiracies. Che in and uh, Fidel Castro were most definitely in a conspiracy, according to Che himself. The, uh, the basis of a successful conspiracy, according to Che, is secrecy, compartmentalization vetting of personnel not one of the conspirators conspirators should be allowed to live alone and they should be resilient to sparrows for those of you who uh, don't know sparrows are the female seductive spies femme fatales <clears throat> although i think femme fatales are actually chicks who kill people sparrows are just you know intelligence gathering anyways could be assassins too who knows right so we humans are talking apes with clothes. Uh, some of us are closer to being savages than others. I'm, of course, uh, going under the assumption that hunting other humans is, is savage while tolerating them is civilized. I could be wrong. Che clearly didn't feel anything for the people that he killed, yet he justified it as a compassion for the people for not the people he killed, but for the people in general, whom he never personally knew. In his book, he explains why the battle is why most guerrillas are there. But I'll read a quote here. Within the framework of the combatant life, the most interesting event, the one that carries all to a convulsion of joy and puts new vigor in everyone's steps, is the battle. The battle climax of the guerrilla life is sought at an opportune moment either when the enemy encampment sufficiently weak to be annihilated has been located and investigated or when an enemy column is advancing directly toward the territory occupied by the liberating force so there you go beyond his his lust for battle che appears to be an honorable man who has been misled by his ideology, or he was deluded by it as justification for fighting. We'll never know for sure. To sum up the uh, deficiencies of his communist ideology, communists realize the problem of monopolies, yet not the resource in free trade. They want to remove all free trade and replace it all with government monopoly to remove the good and replace it all with the bad. <laughs> it's just, their, their ideology is self, um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Che argued in his book for peasants to have their own land. So he wasn't an actual communist. His interpretation was a unique grab bag of random pronouncements. You would never confuse fighting oppression with communism as communism is based on oppression. But because Che fought an oppressive dictator, Fulgencio Batista, the U.S. Uh, puppet, he, uh, and he wanted to replace the dictatorship with communism, a lot of weak minds have fallen into this blatant fallacy of conflating uh, freedom fighting with being pro-communist. Right? He's just, he uh, was an icon. So it's, it's just as plausible that a guerrilla fighter might want to replace an oppressive government with a libertarian laissez-faire type system or a highly regulated capitalist system or any variance, a monarchy even. Right? Che's Marxist ideology was not relevant to his actions. He just needed an excuse and didn't you know, really know how to replace an oppressive government you know, what do you replace it with, right? So he just grabbed what was being pushed into his face by other brainwashed ideological fools. At the time, it was a really big thing, right? So as a, as a good enough placeholder. And today, too, they're still brainwashed idiots, stupid enough to, to fall for Marxism. Yeah. So what is relevant are his actions that were proven to be effective in practice, even though practical experience and and, uh, and merit today is frowned upon by certain segments of our establishment for some reason. For those of you who don't know, Dr. Che Guevara was an Argentinian physician who was also a proven successful guerrilla leader and a tactician who started the Cuban revolution with Fidel Castro. Now, he may not have been at the very ground floor because I think Fidel was, you know, promoting it earlier and Chase sort of caught on, but he was in very early days on that first boat that went to uh, from Mexico. And I think there was like 100 guys on there and only like 12 survived or something. Anyways, they, uh, they were successful as far as overthrowing the, the dictatorship of Cuba. The Cuban Revolution nationalized a fruit company that was the legacy cash cow of an American family called the Dulles family. Anybody who's flown into Washington, D.C. will be familiar with that term as in the airport, the Dulles Airport. Alan Dulles was the godfather of the CIA during the Cuban Revolution. And he was presumably uh, getting funds from his family cash cow, right? That uh, whatever that international fruit packing company, whatever the hell it's called. We can only assume that he did not take kindly to Che and Fidel and Fidel's brother and the whole gang, right? So in October of 1967, seven years after the successful Cuban revolution, six years after the embarrassing Bay of Pigs fiasco by the CIA in Cuba, and four years after JFK was assassinated, the CIA eventually tracked down Che on one of his Escapades, 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 I think it's, yeah. escapades in Bolivia, escapades, no escapades, fuck, <laughs> in Bolivia and assassinated him. 
So I kind of took the wind out of the sail with my escapades thing there. But yeah, they, they got him. They killed him, right? He was 39 years old. A lot of you, probably most of you would know this. Specifically, it was the U.S. trained 2nd Ranger Battalion, Battalion created to pursue Che Guevara's guerrilla band, a 16-member Green Beret team of U.S. Special Forces drawn from the 8th Special Forces Division of the U.S. Army Forces at Southcom in Panama, was given the mission to produce a rapid reaction force capable of counterinsurgency operations and skilled to the degree that four months of intense training can be absorbed by the personnel presented by the Bolivian Armed Forces. They finished their training in September, and in October, the 2nd Battalion, which was a Bolivian battalion trained by the U.S. forces, aided uh, by the U.S. military and CIA personnel, did engage and capture Che Guevara's small band of rebels. Che was killed in La Higuera, Bolivia. One CIA official was present, a Cuban-American named Felix Rodriguez, codenamed Felix Ramos. He was a Bolivian military officer. Felix recounted in his debriefing by the CIA's office of the Inspector General that the CIA sent him and another Cuban-American agent, Gustavo Violdo, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Violdo, two L's is a Y, right? So Violdo, Velodo in English, Violdo. (laughs) to assist the capture of Che and destruction of his guerrilla band. Felix and Gustavo became part of a CIA task force in Bolivia that included one case officer for the operation, another Cuban-American called Jim, his real name was Mario Osiris Reveron, and two agents in charge of communications in Santa Clara. After Felix interrogated a captured guerrilla, he, uh, in Bolivia, he, he focused the 2nd Ranger Battalion to the Vela Grande region where he believed Che was operating. They captured Che, I think, on the evening of October 8th. On the morning of the 9th, uh, around 10 a.m., the Bolivians and Che, uh, Che, the Bolivians and Felix discussed what to do with Che, and they did not want a trial due to the publicity and potential sympathetic propaganda that that could create for Che and Cuba and Castro. So they decided that the path to go was to execute Che. They agreed that this would be a shot to the body, or several shots, so that it would look like he died from battle wounds. They received a radio call from Bolivian authorities, and after some discussion, they were officially ordered to execute Che, so we can imagine what that conversation was like we think we should kill him okay here's the order kill him right i don't know i'm just it wasn't there but uh while under uh instructions from the cia to do everything possible to keep che alive apparently felix the cia member informed che that he would be killed around 1 p.m that afternoon they shot and eventually killed che after the execution felix the cia agent bravely took Che's Rolex from his dead body and proudly showed it to reporters for years to come. Though officially retired from the CIA at this point, 
I'm sure Alan Dulles had a celebratory Cuban cigar when he had confirmation of Che's death four days later. I'm almost... I'm almost... I'm also sure that Che was proud to die on his feet as a fighter and as an international, now as an international martyr, who we are still talking about 60 years later, and not just about him, but specifically his ideas and tactics of guerrilla warfare, (laughs) right? So something I'm sure he would have appreciated. To be alive is to impart yourself onto your work. Otherwise, you're just a transcriptionist. To interpret the data in your unique way while always striving for the truth. I think that's what Che honestly tried to do, though he was misled. So, like him, I'm filtering his information, these books, through my schemata, through my experience, judgment, and focusing on how to protect ourselves from manipulation. One of the fundamental questions in life, in business, in science, law, philosophy, and religion, is what is the truth? That's hard enough without intentional deception and manipulation. This podcast is meant to help you at least identify when someone is manipulating you, intentionally or not, or to recognize the truth that is unlikely, but nonetheless still true. Clearly, trusting our gut, while instinctive, is not the best path. Natural selection has added reasoning to our box of tricks. Why? Because it it works better. Otherwise, we would have evolved with reasoning, right? It would have died off. Not to say that there's not validity to our gut as uh, potentially a, uh, a guide, maybe, but not, you know, for sure, just, hmm, right? But we, we need to temper that with our cold, critical Spock brain when we can. Che never wrote anything about deception of the people with propaganda. Well, he did a little bit, but... He, he mostly stressed to be honest and truthful as possible in his propaganda. <laughs> so he believed, according to his book, he was uh, persuading people toward the best course when it turns out his Marxist ideals were clearly not that. His actions indicate that he wasn't really interested in adopting uh, a communist state. You know, when given the chance in Cuba... He left and started guerrilla campaigns in Africa and South America. He just wanted a fight. Actions speak louder than words. And this guy's actions indicated that he loved battle. Generally, we behave in, in alignment with our beliefs, but our beliefs may be wrong. And how we get our beliefs in the first place is the issue. A lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us, don't want to waste too much time and energy with critically analyzing what we see and hear. So it's easier and mentally lazier to just go with whatever the collective believes on some things. We all have the capacity to be more critical and turn our back on bullshit if we condition ourselves and prepare ourselves with critical thinking skills. The prime skill being, you know, being able to admit that we might be wrong. Some people think we're born uh, with a blank mind, a clean slate, a tabula rosa, they call it, right? This ignores our instincts, our genetic predispositions to question or to be critical or not, uh, you know, to be critical about authority or, or whatever trait. Clearly, we are not born tabula rosa. Like migrating birds and monarchs, we have some wired in instincts. 
not all of us, right? It's a very, it's a, you know, since we're all unique individuals, we all have unique mixtures of, or a unique mixture of instinctive traits, some more, some less. Even siblings are completely different. There are common traits that most humans have and some traits that very few have. I'm not talking about physical traits like, you know, green eyes. I'm, I'm referring to behavioral or dispositions to act, to think certain ways. I doubt anyone is born with belief, but given natural selection's algorithm, we all have different susceptibility to believing different grades of bullshit. Some of us are deceived by low-grade bullshit, while others are duped by the grade-A top-of-the-shelf bullshit. It's not, it's not the specific bullshit that we're concerned with. It's the you know, one integral higher than that, right? Perhaps uh, think of it as the meta, right? Our thinking process that allows us to believe bullshit or conversely not believe the truth. And at some time in, in our lives, most of us have a deep desire to fight anything, to fight anything, while others not so much, right? So these traits are varied. This, this lust for fight is stronger in the hormonally unbalanced youth and, and lesser evolved humans, which makes them easier to manipulate. Uh, they instinctively want to fight. I should say we, right? Because we all have, not, I should say, not all of us, but most of us, right? Uh, we really don't care who, just someone who can fool ourselves into believing uh, is our enemy. In terms of guerrilla warfare, Che's voice is worth listening to, not because he has any innate wisdom of manipulation, though he did use it in practice, but because he has merit as a proven successful guerrilla leader, and he wrote down what, what was successful for him in practice when it comes to propaganda. So we are lucky because in 1960, Right after the revolution, when this crap was still fresh in his head, Che wrote a book on guerrilla warfare. And you are even more lucky because I've read it and I'm going to share my insights with you. Are the dark arts of propaganda and manipulation even used in guerrilla warfare? Well, absolutely. Guerrilla forces are created out of the general population. In Cuba, they were created by propaganda and fear. Now, I'm not defending dictatorships or oppression, both of which should absolutely be fought against. When an oppressive state takes everything away from a people, they have nothing left to lose. They are ripe and susceptible for the effects of propaganda to be whipped into revolution. They have already lost, so they might as well go down fighting. But this is not black and white. It's gradient, right? It's gradient. <laughs> It's more complex than our simplistic generalizations have led us to believe. There's the oppressive government who may or may not believe that they are being oppressive at one end. And at the other end, there may be the crazed Marxist ideological guerrillas who do not believe that they are the baddies. But again, just because they're guerrillas, that doesn't imply that they're Marxist or that you have to be a Marxist to be a guerrilla. There's been guerrilla bands who were pro-nationalist, who fought communist regimes. The ideology of the political spectrum is not relevant, is my point. We, when, when we're the baddies a lot of the time, we may not realize that we are. If you do realize it, congratulations, you're not a psychopath. You're just a sociopath. <laughs> and then there's the people in the middle 
the rest of us. Uh, the zombies, not in the fight. The civilians. Civilians play the most important role. All manipulators are fighting for access to the minds of the civilian mass, be it apps, advertising, social media, government, or any other form of evil. Both the government and the guerrillas need the support of the people to survive. Without the people, all governments, no matter how tyrannical, will fall. And guerrillas, without the support of the people, are just terrorists. I guess the same goes for governments. Without the people's support, they'd also be terrorists, right? So, what does Che's book, Guerra de Guerrillas, Guerrilla Warfare, have to say about propaganda and manipulation? Oppressive states usually know that they cannot push the people too far before they dissent, revolt, and have a revolution. But they want to push as far as they can to get maximum power and control. This is not all states, but today it certainly is looking like it in all Western countries, perhaps all other countries. The problem with this this tactic of oppressive states is that it's it's not a uh, this boundary that they're pushing to is not static. It's dynamic and it moves around. What is not sufficient to provoke a revolt today. Maybe twice is what's necessary to provoke provoke a revolt tomorrow. This is a hard lesson many tyrants learn too late. <laughs> uh, none of our experts, clearly, know as much as they think they do. None of us do. A lot of us think we're much smarter than we are. Hubris. We're taught to look down on those who seek power. This might be a tactic keeping us from seeking it. I don't know. But a recurring theme from Marxists and pseudo-leftists is their concept of the peasants and the working class, the oppressed, those ignorant rubes that are self-evidently ignorant. And I, the enlightened Marxist, is clearly the smarter, the superior, the, the higher up, the, you know, I'm higher up in the unholy hierarchy. Although this this hierarchy is apparently one that is we we Marxists we like, right? But uh, though communists are supposed to be um, against hierarchies, right? Clearly, only against the hierarchies when they're not at the top. Marxists are not ideologues; they're they're pseudo ideologues, meaning they are fake ideologues or quasi ideologues, meaning they resemble ideologues. I had an old friend, now dead, who used to always put the word quasi before anything he tried to explain. I can't think of any examples. but If you think Che was an individual, if you think of Che as an individual, here was a guy who killed people based on his ideology of what they represented to him, who they worked for. I don't want to get off track with you know, at what point is rebellion justified against oppression? That's, you know, I would be going down the, the, the hole of the heap fallacy to try to generalize a specific point where it's justified. I'm not sure at what point that is, but there is some point. It's just vague. It's fuzzy logic. We could narrow down some specific criteria, but oppressors around the world would then just push up to that limit. <clears throat> There are some things uh, 
Che and I agree on, and his conviction of jumping in with both feet is one of them. You have to rec uh, respect his, his purity of conviction. He thought communism was a good idea. In practice, with the feedback from the objective world, something which he deeply respected, it did not pan out to be so. Whether Che was right or not to rebel and become a guerrilla is beyond the scope of this podcast. Other than he may have been, you know, brainwashed by Marxists, which is the, you know, separate from the guerrilla action, as Fidel Castro wasn't a communist or fighting for communist ideals, at least at the start. He was fighting against authoritarianism, something communist states all become, as did Fidel's. It appears the Cuban Revolution was organically formed by Fidel or Che, whoever, right? It's the quintessential grassroots organization. But the rebellion in general, the concept of the rebellion or a civil war, is a tactic that is used by foreign, perhaps domestic as well, in this case, I guess, uh, dark arts manipulators to weaken a nation, to have it kill off half of its own people. So how do they go about this? Ideologically, us and them, PSYOPs. I'll be covering PSYOPs as a specific topic in another podcast. But humans are unique as individuals, but many of us have the flaw of defining ourselves by what we currently believe, which is the path to closed-minded bigotry. Or perhaps it's the other way around. Closed-minded bigotry is a way of the path to defining yourself by what you believe. Anyways, we, we intertwine the ideology of our concept of self, of being, that we sometimes will literally fight to the death, you know, before we even think of changing our ideological belief. Not everybody, of course, right? I've gone through uh, military basic training. I was the top recruit of my platoon. Thank you very much. And I, uh, I'm, I'm sure a large portion of you listening to this might have gone through that. You know, the premise is to break you down to the point that you will do what you are told by certain authority figures without, you know, rationalizing the request to have your nervous system just do it, to kill someone with your bayonet in hand-to-hand -hand simply because you're told to. They told us as much. They didn't, you know, make any bones about it. We were being conditioned. Was I broke down? No. I was an avid hiker and a naturally great shot. And I just enjoyed a lot of what we did. You know, I enjoyed pushing myself because I knew it was only for a short while. You know, they do a boatload of push-ups and carrying people. And it was, it was nuts, right? But I enjoyed because, you know, they, I knew they weren't going to kill me. <laughs> so does this technique mostly work? Yes. That's why they still use it. It is literally battle tested. Right? So statistically, this will work on a lot of people. Now, who knows? Maybe I'm like the uh, the Manchurian candidate. Maybe if they threw a, you know, a C7 in my arm and said, shoot that guy, I would just start shooting him at all. <laughs> I don't think I would. Right? But uh, anyway, so now, you know, would I kill someone just because some idiot of rank told me to? You know, of course not. But who knows? Context is key, right? We all have the right to defend ourselves up to including the use of deadly force if the situation warrants. If someone earned my respect and I trusted their judgment, 
there's a greater chance of me listening to their commands, right? I don't know the full story, but I trust their judgment. You know, you might do stuff. Who knows? This is a topic that Che mentions as a critical factor for success of a guerrilla movement. The capacity of leadership. The capacity is not academic. It's not a bunch of letters. The capacity is earned. Is that form of is that a form of conditioning? Yes. But it's not the dark side of the force. It's the light side. It's based on earning the respect uh, and proper functionality of a group based on truth and feedback from objective reality. Is there potential for this type of conditioning to be corrupted? Absolutely. This is this is what's happening on a large scale, you know, via state propaganda and bogus experts who demand our respect even though you know we may or may not give it to them but they just demand it you give me respect without earning it or worse they demand our respect after they breach our trust in this case it just becomes propaganda some people are oblivious to this and this is amazing so i'm not saying all experts are bullshit just the ones we hear on the corporate news and the ones that the government use <laughs> Guerrilla tactics are known to everyone, uh, maybe not everyone, but they are be covert, be mobile, use hit and run. Of course, in reality and practice, it is infinitely more complex than that. But a key tactic used by the, the guerrilla is propaganda. This doesn't mean the guerrillas are good or bad. It is simply the strategy that is used. If they are good, the propaganda is more aligned with informational, educational. If they are evil, the propaganda is more aligned with deception, lies by omission, and re repetitive appeals to emotion and other logical fallacies. We don't need to study appeals to emotions in propaganda or news. We can just feel it. If you feel yourself getting riled up, you know, all you got to do in Canada, all you got to do is, or I guess in the States, you can listen to them as well. Turn on the CBC. Right? You could just immediately, I grew up listening to that crap. And then it's just like, wow, like this is good. Then I, as my brain developed, I started realizing more and more, this is just propaganda, propaganda. It's look at how they're framing it. Look at the one-sided arguments. Look at, it's disgusting how they, they, the, the implied assumptions they're coming up with. It was just, it was horrible to grow up and have to listen to that crap and worse. You were forced to pay for it, right? Anyways, but the point is that if you feel yourself getting riled up by any news, if you feel your chest or any kind of emotions building up, right, that's typically the, the fallacy at work of appealing to your emotion, pushing your buttons. The, uh, the feeling is, is evolution telling you something. We can roll our eyes back in our heads and let our emotions control us like zombies, or, or we could take it as a warning, of, as, as an ideological defense, when you feel emotions, you know, oh, they're trying to whip me up. And then you won't take a step back and you realize it's not the story. It's the people telling the story that the ones you should be getting angry at, right? The, the intentional deceivers, right? The, the, the slimy carpet baggers that, you know, state propaganda or today it's all news. It's not just state controlled. Although even the corporate may be state controlled, who knows who controls it, but definitely they're united in their, in their, uh, their narrative. This is not to say that all emotional stories are propaganda, but most emotional stories that you hear on the internet and the corporate news are clickbaits or propaganda and hence intentional deception. I like what, uh, Izzy Stone wrote about Che 
think he was he was a leftist guy, right? So a lot of people hate him. But uh, what he wrote about Che and and the uh, <laughs> I don't know if they hate him because he was leftist. Anyways, but what Izzy Stone wrote about Che and and the guerrillas, uh, I gotta <clears throat> quote him here. Men become revolutionaries for diverse, often surprising, and sometimes unworthy motives. Rancor, dislike of themselves, greed for power, or a hatred of stupidity, which easily becomes contempt for humanity itself. Right, so he's a leftist, so he easily slides into this whole nihilist thing, right? He then went on and, and blew smoke up Che's ass, talking about how great he was, right? But uh, what I take from this point is there are many who 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 join, fight, and die for causes that may not be worthy. So what happened to those people? They've been manipulated or are just idiots, and we can't really do much about idiots. Stone goes on to say that uh, rebellions, like the church, demand, among other things, duplicity and the assumption of total power. So recall that duplicity is dishonest behavior that is meant to trick someone. Duplicity is the core of what this entire podcast is about. So he's saying that these rebellions like the church, you know, require duplicity. They require dishonest behavior that is meant to trick someone. Stone wrote that this erosion of pristine virtue eroded Che, but I don't agree. Che's true motives were demonstrably about the battle and getting dirty and fighting. Stone notes that Che said, where there is hope of peaceful change, the conditions are not yet ripe for successful guerrilla action. The implication here is that the guerrillas might be looked upon negatively. Bad PR, not good for propaganda. Stone wrote an interesting line on the subject of aid as a tool of repression, which I thought, wow, yeah, you know, it's pretty interesting to think of aid as a source of repression. When he wrote about Che's plans for the continent, he wrote, how to create new managerial and scientific cadres to replace old oligarchies and American aid. How do you inspire and organize for hard work over many hungry years an illiterate mass quite different from its conditioning? He's saying that aid has made people lazy. Those who give international aid are harming the people they give it to by enabling their laziness. I suppose it goes against natural selection, right? We're training them to eat at the trough instead of teaching them to be wolves and hunters where they're, you know, they're forced to fine-tune their modes of production and perhaps even make better ones than we have. So the, the lesson here that I'm saying is don't feed the wildlife. Chase starts off his book with a dedication to Camilo Cienfuegos. It's a single L, so I think it's Camilo. Camilo Cienfuegos which translates to 100 fires, Cien Fuegos. That's got to be a nom de guerre, right? For those of you who don't know nom de guerre, name of war, a name soldiers give themselves or others. Like in uh, Tom Gunn, Tom Cruise was Maverick, and Val Kilmer was Ice. These are like nom de guerres. 
Top Gun was a, a movie from the 1980s, for those of you who don't know. And forget it. <laughs> I'm not going to stop there. Cienfuegos, what a cool name. Anyways, Che writes how Cienfuegos would appreciate the book as the experiences are synthesized from their practical experiences from objective reality and that heroes are selected through this rigorous struggle. Che explains how Fidel talked about Cienfuegos and how, uh, how Cienfuegos rose to the position of a hero. And this is Che quoting Fidel. <laughs> he had the natural intelligence of the people who had chosen him out of thousands for a privileged position on account of the audacity of his blows, his tenacity, his intelligence, and unequaled devotion. So both Che and Castro recognized the validity of merit, of natural selection of the best, and would not have supported the ideological cancer of woke bigotry and its quotas based on racial or sexual identity. Che uses a bit of propagandistic language when referring to Cienfuegos, of course, right? He wrote, Camilo did not measure danger. He used it for a diversion, mocked it, lured, toyed, and played with it. It doesn't take much of a genius to figure out these guys would have, you know, thought of safe spaces or PTSD from being misgendered. A core value of the gorilla is stoicism, something that is bizarrely being attacked today by the woke left. How could you argue against stoicism, right? Che's, well, I guess if you don't believe in objective reality, it's pretty easy. So Che's general principles of guerrilla warfare are three. One, popular forces can defeat the army. Two, it is not necessary to wait for all the conditions for making a revolution to exist. An insurrection can create them. Three, in undeveloped America, the countryside is the basic area for armed fighting. He really did not want guerrillas fighting in urban, in cities, for, for many reasons, but he argued strenuously to stay out of towns. So the key point here is that the insurrection itself can create all the conditions for the revolution. Che complains about the nihilism of pseudo-revolutionaries and that their defeatist attitudes are con contradicted by his uh, first two propositions. He goes on about how the nihilists remain inactive and sit and wait until all the necessary objective and subjective conditions are given without working to accelerate them. So did you hear that? Nay talk, Nate. Che talks about the objective and subjective conditions. Here's a man that respected objective reality. He didn't believe in my truth, your truth. Here Che gives some uh, precision for the moment of when a rebellion is justified. He writes, People must see clearly the, the futility of maintaining the fight for social goals within the framework of the civil debate. When the forces of oppression come to maintain themselves in power against established law, peace is already considered broken. He explains in finding the basic principles of this kind of fighting, one needs to develop theory from the facts. 
to generalize and give structure to our experience for the profit of others. He defines the guerrilla band as the fighting vanguard of the people, which draws its forces from the mass of the people themselves, and that it is indispensable. It's an indispensable condition to have the full help of the people in the area. Here Che clearly demonstrates that he is not a true communist. When he writes, the revolutionary interprets the desires of the great peasant mass to be owners of land, owners of their means of production, owners of their animals, of that that they have long yearned to call their own. So people might argue that this is a collective thing, but sure sounds like individual ownership to me. He also writes, War is always a struggle in which each contender tries to annihilate each other. Besides using force, they will have recourse to all possible tricks and stratagems in order to achieve their goal. These means contemplate taking advantage of all the weak points of the enemy. He wrote those means include secretive, secretiveness, treachery, and surprise. And when they are not present, it is because of the vigilance of the other side. So he's saying that he is treacherous. Right? Secret, treacherous, surprise. And the only reason why he wouldn't be is because they are being vigilant in their defense. These are in general terms, so he's not specifically saying that regarding propaganda and manipulation of information, but one can assume he supports it at least when directed at the enemy, who is anybody who doesn't believe what he believes, right? So he goes on to say the guerrilla fighters don't fight to defend an ideal. They fight to convert it into reality. So instead of fighting for an ideal with logic and arguments, he supports fighting for an ideal with bullets and killing, which he did. To be fair, he, saw, he, he said at another point, once all peaceful means are exhausted. Now, I don't know if these were thrown in afterwards, you know, or the hope of peaceful means are exhausted. But this doesn't mean that his ideals are proven right. They might be better. They might be worse, right, than the current oppressive situation. If you value quality of life and standard of living, then history has shown that his ideals were not better for Cuba en masse. A fundamental strategy used by Che is to not destroy the enemy's resources, but to use the enemy's resources against them. He simply means steal what crap you can and destroy the rest. Of course, he talks of targeting their means of production. In, modern, uh, in a modern information war, this could mean targeting the enemy's means of propaganda, TV, radio, internet, cell towers, or more likely targeting narratives and rebroadcasting them. Today, the intelligence community and the corporate news are so deeply intertwined that the news in the U.S. has former CIA directors reporting. <laughs> this news is happening daily, and Che wrote, that the offensive tasks must be performed daily. Interestingly, Che's strategy called for an outside-in fight where they attack the body and not the head. He called for the systematic liquidation of enemy soldiers while they slept. I assume his idea was that 
while the soldiers are armed and would fight back, they are probably less secured than the heads or the leaders of the enemy force. I'm not sure. You know, why not go for the head of the chicken, right? But uh, his strategy worked, right? It was, uh, it was also intertwined with the winning over of the people. Despite those soldiers whom he killed in the night as being family members of the people, <laughs> perhaps those families fell in line uh, due to fear of Che's guerrillas. He wrote the intense popular work that must be undertaken to explain the motives of the revolution and to spread the incontrovertible truth that victory of the enemy against its people is impossible. And those who do not believe this cannot be guerrillas. He, of course, stresses the importance of information security, secrecy. The peasants are told not to repeat what they see or hear, presumably about guerrilla troop movements and specific plans of attack. In regards to the purpose of sabotage and terrorism as a tool, Che's goal with it is to paralyze armies, to suspend industrial life, leaving inhabitants without factories, uh, light, water, communications, without being able to travel by highway except at certain hours, to cause the morale of the enemy to fall, the morale of his combatants to weaken. He writes, the fruit ripens for the plucking at a precise moment. <laughs> I assume he means to attack a weakened army and bring food and supplies to the homes uh, of the people to win them over you know, for the, to, to the rebellion, thereby gaining territory. As he mentions within this territory, measures of indoctrination of the inhabitants of the zone should be utilized and measures of quarantine should be taken against the irrecon irreconcilable enemies of the revolution. Quarantine, right? Quarantine meaning a bullet in the head or the back of the head, whichever you want. You want front or back, right? We're giving you choices. So we see states using these tactics against the people who are reconcilable to the narratives of the state. Very totalitarian. You can believe what you want so long as it's what we tell you to. Che doesn't mention why he doesn't just go for a coup, you know, take the head off the regime. He, he doesn't go into that. I think he just likes fighting too much. And that's probably why. In regards to tactics, Che writes that the guerrilla's actions are adjusted to the action of the enemy. Be fast, mobile, move at night, avoid being encircled. The most vulnerable points of infrastructure is road and rail. Also, be frugal with ammunition. No spray and pray. Calmly target and fire only when a target is in your crosshairs, unless it's a night attack, in which the determining factor is concentration of fire instead of marksmanship. Che embraces probabilities at nighttime, hence his inclusion of shotguns with large shot for close quarter night attacks. I think he saw them off. I'm, I'm not sure. He talks about 16 gauge instead of 12 gauge. I don't know why. But. Is this a metaphor for psyops and information war? No. Ammunition uh, is words and ideas, and they don't cost anything other than time. Of course, the targeting of a specific individual would be more effective, uh, but much more resource intensive. Another aspect of chase tactics include baiting the enemy, 
attack a small vanguard with a small force to draw reinforcements of the enemy out. Then have the bulk of the guerrilla force ambush the reinforcements while they're unprotected and on the road, and the guerrillas are dug in and hidden. Che stresses the importance of isolation of the enemy vanguard. It's an important psychological factor that the man in the vanguard knows he will die without escape in every battle. He writes that giving no quarter unless the tactical circumstances call for it and to sow panic among the enemy combatants. So Che's default is to give no quarter. No quarter means to show no mercy and to kill all who surrender. Giving no quarter is an active PR campaign form of, of manipulation to everybody else in the army, right? To communicate to them that if they fight the guerrillas, they will die. Thereby trying to scare them uh, into not fighting. Who the hell wants to be in the, the point, the vanguard, right? If they know every time they fight the guerrillas, that group is encircled and killed every time, right? So you're going to have a bunch of people who don't want to fight in the vanguard, right? Uh, vanguard's a pretty old term, but this book's pretty old, so. So this tactic worked in Cuba. I don't think this is always the case. You know, it's terrorism. And terrorism is generally not supported by civilians. Enter propaganda. While Che calls for the merciless killing of the enemy, he, he also propagandistically calls for mercy towards the unarmed and avoid assassinations of people of small importance as it draws unnecessary retaliation. But noted leaders of enemy forces that are known for their cruelty, efficiency in repression, and other qualities are, of course, to be eliminated. The guerrillas must demonstrate moral superiority to the oppressing forces. PR by actions, public relations by actions. He clarifies that these actions by the guerrilla would not be necessary if every type of legal action is suppressed already by the government. And the only action left to the people is action supported by arms. So you can kind of see how he says one thing and he sort of kind of says the opposite. So he's, he definitely wants to fight. He's all about the fight. And then he throws this other stuff like, oh, we got to be morally superior and circle the vanguard and kill every last one. Oh, we got to show mercy towards these people, right? If they're unarmed. So what if these guys and, and give no quarter quarter? So what if the vanguard drops their rifles and surrenders. Now they're unarmed and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're asking for mercy. You, you'll kill them all because of the vanguard. So he, so he's giving conflicting, right? So this, he's, uh, he's giving a warning for all governments of the world, you know, be forewarned. If you do not subscribe to your own laws, then you are inciting rebellion. In terms of communications, Che did not trust word of mouth. And uh, he stressed, you know, I guess printing press and radio and stuff, but indoctrination should be continuous. He, uh, he struggles for unity of the classes and maximum homogeneity, homogeneity of attitude of the guerrilla fighters, right? So no diverse thought. Right. Sounds familiar. Sounds like these crazies today. Right. Homogeneity of thought is what he wants. Attitude. Right. But granted, this is he's talking about, 
the fighting front, the guerrillas, right? So it sounds very cult-like, but militaries are generally like that. Although they don't really, like the army doesn't push ideology other than, you know, doing what you're told kind of stuff, right? Whereas he's pushing for homogeneity of attitude. Uh, in regards to those who are uh, stubborn or defiant to Che's authority, they should be, according to Che, eliminated without hesitation when they are dangerous. He writes, in this respect, the guerrilla band must be drastic. Enemies cannot be permitted to exist within the zone of operations in places that offer no security. So if a guerrilla doesn't feel secure in a zone, kill the obstinate without hesitation. What I assume Che meant by obstinate was their obstinance to think that people have a right to exist or to have freedom or rights or sovereignty and self-determination. <laughs> so social reform. He wrote, once peaceful means are exhausted, this initiates the fight. And the creation of the initial guerrilla cells who want to destroy unjust order or to replace something old with something new. Again, with this crazy, let's just put something new in there, right? Whether the new is any better or whether the ends justify the means is not even considered. Che fought for self-determination. So long it was, so long it Italian, so long as it was the pseudo-communist totalitarianism that he subscribed to. We see how Che deals with recalcitrant people. He doesn't bother trying to win them over with logic or reason. If he views them as dangerous, he kills them without hesitation. Perhaps he doesn't win them over with logic and reason because he's not using logic and reason, but just a half-assed Marxist ideology to justify his killing. The U.S. government via the CIA and other agencies are, of course, doing the same. Half, half uh, attempts to win over the people and then just kill the stubborn ones, right? Who may be delusional or perhaps they are the critical thinkers who see the truth. Perhaps there's no critical thinkers in power, only those who are using a, uh, a different tool set, right? A power tool set that is, does require critical thinking. Che writes about taking advantage of the heat of war. Right, take advantage of the heat of war to get the people to do as much as mentality of the inhabitants will permit. This is a vague euphemism that we can only assume means kill squads or sabotage, but whatever the limit the people are willing to do. Regarding manipulation, he writes, the guerrilla ought to constantly give orientation on ideological problems as he understands the necessity of a series of changes. Not what they're changing to, if it's better, how it's better, how we logically deduce that it's better, right? Just changes. He goes on, like the woke morons of today, writing how the guerrillas are not men who have bent their backs day after day over the furrow of a plow. They are men who understand the necessity for changes in the social treatment accorded peasants. 
without having suffered in the usual case this bitter treatment in their own persons. So these guerrilla social justice warriors are angry on behalf of these peasant victims who have no nobility of their own and are mentally incapable of speaking up because they are ignorant peasants. This is the arrogance, right? This is the princess complex. There's a name for it. I can't remember what it's called. It might be the princess complex. I can't remember, but it's the princess complex of the social justice warrior that is very much and alive and well today. This is a major flaw in Che's character. He's, he's not even a Cuban. And he was a social justice warrior on behalf of the peasant Cubans and the, the ignorant workers. Did, did the Cuban people even ask him to come to their land and kill their fellow Cubans? Did the Africans ask him to come to Africa and kill a bunch of Africans? Right? I'm not sure. what can't remember which country it was. Could have been the Congo. I can't remember. Did the Bolivians ask him to come to Bolivia and kill a bunch of Bolivians? Che got what he deserved for sticking his nose into other people's affairs. He writes more about the guerrillas teaching the, the idiot people of the, the, the fundamental importance of armed fight with the goal of the people rising up against their leaders. He calls this a progressive radicalization. He stresses the mandatory stoic qualities needed for filling and completing the guerrilla assignments. Something woke bigots argue against in our society today. Why would anyone argue against the virtues of stoicism? I just, again, I can't get over that. He writes about how peasants and workers are too stupid to know what's going on, so they need to be educated by the movement. Some useful idiot students and professionals who might have the capacity to understand such complex concepts as liberty might be self-motivated to join the fight. Here's Che. I'm smarter than the entire people of this country. And I'm going to put them into classes and, and, and tell them what's better for them. To the point of killing the ones who don't agree with me. Right? What an idiot. What an arrogant prick. You know? Or perhaps people of South America are the ignorant rubes that Che Guevara claims they are. Take your pick. It's one of the two. Right? He has some outright ridiculous ideas and should take hygiene more seriously when he talks about the cleaning of things, right? He, he does mention hygiene, but not sufficient. He wrote about the value of good shoes and was eventually assassinated with a <laughs> leather pads tied to the bottom of his bare feet. And yet he was wearing a Rolex watch. <laughs> you know, he, 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 of course, had some valid concepts such as the necessity of hierarchy in the guerrilla band and that superiority of position was hard earned with merit and stoic character. He oddly later on cries about the hierarchy of his opponent. Other valid concepts are his desire to carefully study the system of espionage as the harm that a counter spy can do is enormous. When it comes specifically to the effects of stories and propaganda on people, and listening to the stories of the peasants and the workers, he writes, it is not probable that danger will be underrated. The tendency of the people in the country is to overrate and exaggerate it. 
The same magic mentality that makes phantasms and various supernatural beings appear also creates monstrous armies where there are hardly a platoon or an enemy patrol. He writes that spies should be from the pool of businessmen, professionals, and clergy, presumably because the country rubes of Latin America are not mentally capable of observing and reporting accurately. In regards to the nucleus of the guerrilla movement, Che wrote that it could be composed of peasants who've been hard done by the oppressive government and ideological students. Notice he doesn't say rational, critical thinkers, but the ignorant rube presence who've been hard done by that aren't good enough to be spies and useful idiot students who are green with no experience and far from critical thinking as, as possible. This type of idiot who calls himself an expert. This is the pool of people that our political establishment will draw their experts from. <laughs> These are the traditional targets of any movement or cult based on manipulation and ideological bullshit. He continues, once the guerrilla band is big enough, they can write their own laws, make their own courts, and of course, the work of the indoctrination of the peasant masses continues, extended to workers if there are any near. So his hierarchy is ignorant peasant masses are really dumb, and then the next ones are the ignorant workers. The uh, And the students are actually sort of below the workers, it seems, or amongst in there too, equal to the, the ignorant pe peasants. So first priority of targets of indoctrination is guerrilla peasants and idiot students, then ignorant workers always targeting the gullible idiots. When the guerrilla band grows larger, the next phase is a school. Why? To indoctrinate and train recruits. Extensive work among the masses makes easy movement for the guerrilla forces possible in unfavorable territory and so opens the final stage, suburban guerrilla warfare. So he only goes from rural warfare to suburban warfare and never to urban warfare. Che's guerrillas want to avoid urban warfare at all costs. Now, control freaks don't care about the sovereign decisions of the individual. Che is not different than the cartels that came after, like Pablo Escobar. At, he used to say, uh, plata y plomo, silver or lead money or death. If you do what I say, I will pay you. If you do not, I will kill you. This mentality worked very well for Pablo and Che alike. Che wrote about gaining the absolute confidence of the people in the zone. And this confidence is won by a positive attitude towards their problems, by help and a constant program of orientation by the defense of their interests and the punishment of all who attempt to take advantage of the chaotic moment in which they live in order to use pressure, dispossess the peasants, seize their harvests, etc. He writes that the gorilla should be soft and hard. Plata y plomo. He doesn't say plata y plomo, but this is what it means, right? 
soft on those who honestly sympathize with the revolutionary movement and hard on those who attack it, those who foment dissension or simply communicate to the army. Little by little, the territory is cleared of those who dissent. He justifies taking food from peasants because it's for the greater good, like every other tyrannical despot. Despot? Depot? Despot. <laughs> right. He writes about branches of the guerrilla band that are civil. They have two mandates, propaganda and supplies from the people. These should be treated separately. But when it comes to fleecing the poor of their food, he writes that every action of the guerrilla needs to be uh, needs the accompanying propaganda to explain it. The uh, the propaganda to be used is the the spirit of sacrifice for the cause, right? The the movement. He writes that it is important to have rules and laws enforced by the guerrillas in a territory. Assume you know to subdue any power vacuums. He stresses that all the useful idiots need to spread the good word to sow the seeds of revolution among their classes and that their propaganda must be the truth. But they must do it amongst their classes because the classes don't interact with each other and they're all monolithic. I think what he means is that the useful idiots need to believe their bullshit is the truth. and uh, Or they need to be scared enough of the guerrillas to propagate it. He writes about how sabotage should be used and terrorism should not be. It would be interesting to know how Che defines terrorism, but it appears to be that he, he defines terrorism as the targeting attack of individuals or perhaps indiscriminate killing of people. But he has no qualms with the scaring of large landowners with force, which is terrorism, plata y plomo. He writes about propaganda, that there should be a single director and that the different target audiences should be targeted differently throughout radio and newspapers. And they should use the words, you know, watchwords or catchphrases. And those watchwords and catchphrases should be explained. So there's no ambiguity. There should also be uh, propaganda directed to the people within the movement, which explains the facts that they are otherwise ignorant of. He wrote the most effective propaganda is that within the guerrilla zone of the control via peasant periodicals. And they should dox all dissidents. He, now, again, I'm paraphrasing a lot of what he's saying here. He didn't use the word dox, right? Because it wasn't around then. But he said they should be, you know, their identities exposed. Doxing. What we today call doxing. He doesn't specify that this is to create fear to control the peasants. But doxing is a tool of harassment that has led to the murder of those doxed. He writes of firing the, uh, the, the war fever. Get the, 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 the war fever fired up, right? So using appeals to emotion uh, and propaganda. The goal of this propaganda is to create a consciousness of the great national problems besides offering sections of more lively interest to the reader. Apparently, his propaganda is boring. Or he's just going to assume that the propaganda is boring, right? It then goes on about the intelligence and knowing about as, as much about your enemy and about your own limits. Ooh, that's some deep stuff, right? He writes that the movement should have specific intelligence people, 
not drawn from the idiot peasants because they can't keep their shit straight. He says the agent should also sow fear and instability in the enemy by spreading discouraging information. He doesn't explicitly say disinformation uh, or, or other forms of psyops, but that's what he's talking about in his rudimentary way, like one of his peasant rubes from South America. This guy did not think highly of farmers or, or people from the country, right? Which shows his ignorance. It could be a South American thing. I had a friend from El Salvador who also looked down on farmers in his country. Che believed in practical hands-on training. Now these farmers, incredibly hands-on. Essentially living in the woods with little food and shooting 22s was what his practical training entailed. He wrote about indoctrination that it must never be neglected because the recruits do not arrive with a clear concept as to why they came. <laughs> like a great cult leader would say, you don't know why you came here. You think you know why you came here, but I'm going to tell you why you actually came here. Right? Therefore, the indoctrination should be carried out with the maximum intensity for the maximum amount of time possible. In short, the indoctrination material should be, you know, include elementary notions about the history of the country, the economic facts that motivate people or motivated each of the historic acts, accounts of their chosen national heroes, and the manner of reacting to the injustice, injustices, injustices, and the analysis of the current national situation. So we could sum that up as injustice A happened, Hero responded this way to A. We are currently in a situation like A. How will you respond? Right? So that's the, the sum of the his, his technique. So he also says promoting uh, reading of certain books. <laughs> Not all reading. He stresses discipline and merits over and over, which is, you know, of course, right? You should have discipline and merit. Now, once critical masses reach, there will be uh, thousands of last-hour revolutionaries, people flocking to the winning side, he says. So he's approaching the end. He wrote, when the revolution is over, a new core will, will have to be created to sow the new truths of the revolution, whatever that is. In the end, he writes, respectable press and truthful news of the U.S. and other countries that belong to the monopolies will begin a systematic and aggressive attack on us. I thought that was pretty enlightening. Che obviously realized that the corporate press is compromised to the intelligence agencies and whoever pulls their strings. Che warned of the worried look of the globalist monopolies give to the Cuban revolution. The Omnipotent United Fruit Company, legacy of Mr. Foster Dulles, to his heirs, but also the empires of Dr. Rockefeller, Dr. Mr. Rockefeller, and the Deutsch Group have suffered under the lash of intervention by the popular Cuban Revolution. So, Che was a social justice warrior douchebag who was fighting the globalists, right? I don't know if he... Well, he certainly knew he was, but uh, he was mostly fighting the U.S.-backed dictator Fulgencio, Fulgencio Batista. That dictator swept aside dissent and uh, to allow the globalists to run amok in Cuba. 
Now, granted, the, the quality of life was much higher when they were in control. And today, these globalist douchebags, douchebags in the uh, intelligence community and political establishment have picked up on Che's proto-woke irrationality and run with it. So whatever was bad that Che was talking about is what they sort of <laughs> with. Whatever was good, stoicism and merit, you know, they it's not. So <laughs> there are no good guys in this story.